Games rated E to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode, we dig deep into Splatoon 3 and have some fun with the 30th anniversary of the Mario Kart series. My name is Chris. In this episode, I'm joined by Corey from Nintendo Treehouse. Hi, Corey. Hello. And Emil, who Splatoon players may know as Chugga Conroy on YouTube. Hi, Emil. Hi, everybody. Um, now, we all got to spend some time playing Splatoon 3 together during the recent Splatfest. And, you know, although Team Rock went on to beat our beloved Team Paper, I, I still had a lot of fun playing with you guys. And, Corey, you know, you're one of the biggest Splatoon fans I've ever met at Nintendo. And, Emil, I can tell from your YouTube channel and from playing with you that you really know your stuff when it comes to this series. So I'm really excited to talk to you both about Splatoon 3, which will finally launch the day after we post this episode. So are you both ready to get started? Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> Great. All right. So, uh, Corey, before we dive into Splatoon 3, can you maybe back up for just a minute? You know, for any listeners who might not have played a Splatoon game before, tell us what the series is all about. Sure. So the series is, generally speaking, an action shooter uh, game. And you take on the role of a squid kid like Inkling. Um, the game has Octolings now as well. But um, essentially, you are able to transform between this human-like character and a squid or octopus-like character by using the ZL trigger. And by, you know, so much of this game is about just making a mess. You're spraying this ink <laughs> everywhere. And in one of the uh, iconic modes, 4 versus 4 Turf War, the objective is literally just to make a larger mess than your opponents in three minutes and just cover as much ground as you can. And, of course, there is the competitive nature of 4 versus 4. There's also cooperative modes. There's an engaging story mode in all of the games. But, again, what kind of ties it together is just this really satisfying feeling of transforming into uh, swim form um, and then just spraying ink and having fun and being able to contribute in meaningful ways um, even if you are not splatting your opponents. Yeah, for me, I think it's just so fun. Like you were saying, you transform into squid form and you just dive right into the ink that you've already spread and you can just jet along much faster. So just the mobility of this game, you know, moving and running in your inkling form and kind of, uh, you know, sp uh, spraying ink everywhere using a combination of, of, of analog stick controls, button controls, motion controls, and then, you know, at any point just diving in and shooting along in that squid form. Uh, for me, has always just been a lot of fun just traversing, you know, the areas, much less the actual, you know, completing the objectives. Um, now, Emil, how did you get into the Splatoon series, and what is it about the series that got you interested? I was a day zero fan, as I call it. I was physically at E3 the day that Splatoon was announced for the Wii U, and I played the demo on the first day that it was available. Um, instantly fell in love with it. Um, I loved the unique concept and how it's all about movement options and putting that together with trying to clear the objectives. It's also just a really nice game to get together with friends and play. Um, the fact that you can have up to eight people in a lobby, it's, it's just awesome. I love the characters in it. I love the world. There's so much, it's surprisingly deep lore in the world to learn about and, the origins of how squids came to rule the world and all these things and how the turf wars mirror the turf wars of old that were actually um, fought to decide the dominant species of Earth. It's, it's so surprisingly deep, and there's just always more to learn about it, and I love games like that. 
Yeah, totally. I was really surprised by that. Uh, going back to the very first uh, Splatoon game on Wii U, that you started to you know find out you know that that bit of lore. It was an unexpected extra bonus for me in a game like that. Um, now let's really dig into some of the key new features of Splatoon Three. Um, and Corey, you know, how about we start with the new story mode, Return of the Mammalians? Um, you know, this mode was recently highlighted in a Nintendo Treehouse Live video, and it looks like there's a lot going on with it. So I wondered if you could maybe, you know, touch on that. Sure. So Return of the Mammalians is kind of the loose theme of the story mode. And it's it's called that because there is a fuzzy ooze and the enemies have fur. But taking a step back, even if you haven't played Splatoon 1 or 2, uh, Splatoon 3 is a great entry point into the franchise. And it, you are not expected to know anything about previous stories to be able to um, to enjoy this one. But the story does act as a way to introduce a lot of the game mechanics to the player, uh, as well as weapons. So playing through uh, all the way through the story mode will actually really equip the player to perform much better in the multiplayer modes and introduce weapon techniques that they may have not have even realized if they went to just multiplayer from the get-go. Um, but because I, you know, I don't want to go into too many spoilers or really any spoilers, um, the story mode is just kind of there as well. That fun narrative going on in the background of like, what is the mystery behind this fuzzy ooze and characters that you'll meet throughout the story? And it can be pretty unexpected. Yeah. And Emil, I know you've played a lot of competitive Splatoon in the past. Um, have you spent much time on any of the game's story modes? I wouldn't say that I'm a super competitive player, but I've definitely gotten up into higher ranks. Um, I've played through all the story modes. I thousand percent of the story mode of Splatoon 2 to get every single hero weapon. And um, I would not wish that on my worst enemy. It was one of the most <laughs> wow. daunting challenges ever that took me years to complete, but I did it. Um, I loved Octo Expansion a lot. That was easily my favorite of the three story modes so far. And I'm hoping that Splatoon 3 is... Uh, got stuff like that where you have stages where you're just playing as an inkjet user or have an unlimited baller or just have really... There's a stage in Octo Expansion where you're playing like an arcade spaceship shooter with a bunch of octocopters going back and forth. It's wild. I love Octo Expansion. Right, yeah, I'd forgotten about that for a minute. Yeah, um, Splatoon 2 Octo Expansion was a DLC that came out and added a whole new story mode element on top of the story mode content that was already in the game. And, you know, I've always been... Um, I, I, historically, I, there are certain games I play a lot of online multiplayer with, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe probably being the, the most one. And But I, I'm not that usually that kind of player, right? I usually like my single-player games. I like my Super Mario games and things especially. So when the first Splatoon came out for Wii U, I spent a lot of time with that game's story mode and was just really impressed with it all on its own. Like I was playing like a great new Nintendo platformer, right, that had a lot of uh, cool action and just new ideas. And uh, But, Corey, kind of what you were saying before um, – and through playing that, I really built up kind of my skills with the mechanics of the game and built up my confidence a bit so that I did give multiplayer a try and really was glad that I did because I got super into it. So I think that is a great kind of a point you made, Corey, and maybe a great recommendation for anybody new to the franchise. If you pick up Splatoon 3, um, there's no reason you can't jump right in and kind of learn on the go in multiplayer. But if you're a little bit more hesitant, um, uh, I would strongly recommend starting with story player mode just to kind of uh, you know, really ease into the gameplay. It's always been very good at teaching various things. There's always multiple weapons that you can pick up in single player and just do it in a safe environment. It teaches you about the special weapons, sub weapons. Um, the stages are just, the mechanics of Splatoon lend themselves really well to, like you said, playing essentially a platformer. 
Yeah, yeah, because there is a lot of traversal that you have to do. It's not just shooting. It's it's not just, um, and we talked before about kind of um, shooting along really fast in the ink as a squid, but also painting the side of a vertical surface and then using that to kind of shoot straight up the side of a wall um, is something that uh, you do a lot too. And when you play those story mode missions, they really are like tutorials without feeling like heavy-handed tutorials, but each level kind of will pick on certain game mechanics and um, <clears throat> really focus on getting you to think about them in lots of different ways. So I always think a little bit of a puzzling challenge there too. I'll give one specific example. This is not a spoiler because it's early on, but the Tri-Stringer is the brand new weapon in Splatoon 3. It's basically a bow. And in one of the early stages, they give you a Tri-Stringer and it's teaching you all the different mechanics of how to use it. Because if you're just kind of on your feet and you shoot it, it will shoot in kind of a horizontal spread. The arrows will go. If you charge, if you charge it up by holding the trigger, uh, it will then cause explosive error, uh, arrows. Um, and then if you jump and shoot at the same time, that your spread will become vertical. So as you're going through the level, there will be um, enemies that are kind of ordered in a way that um, encourage you to take advantage of these opportunities. And even towards the end of the stage, um, there are some shielded enemies. Uh, their front, of course, has a shield on them. And uh, there's an element behind them that will encourage you to try one of the uh, elements out. So um, again, encouraging you to, to try out uh, these new weapons and learn learn the mechanics in a fun way. Yeah, I love that because there's so many weapons to take advantage of. And uh, I, I might not be or try as many of them as I should otherwise, but um, story mode really gets me to, to check stuff out and, I'm, uh, and I, uh, I end up really enjoying some things that I might have overlooked. So again, that's a great place uh, you know, to start or at least even after playing some multiplayer matches, still check out story mode. And uh, the story, I got to check out just the very beginning of it. I'm not going to spoil anything but um, it, uh, it, 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 I was pretty surprised at the beginning with the, just the actual story. There's a nice little twist there that I wasn't expecting. So um, I'm very eager to check, it, uh, check out a lot more of it and see what everybody thinks. All right, moving on to Salmon Run. Now, this was a, a mode that was introduced in Splatoon 2, um, which I think became a fan favorite, certainly something that I've enjoyed a lot. And, but there's a difference now, isn't there, Corey, in that it's always available. Yeah, there's multiple differences. Of course, like you said, you can play it online now at any time. So um, very welcome new feature there. Um, also a new feature where you can now throw eggs. Now that may not mean much if you haven't played this mode before, but increases your kind of just options of how you're thinking about playing because you can now throw eggs into the basket, which is your the, the end objective of, of the mode. Um, lots of new bosses. There's even a brand new event type that's coming called Big Run um, that's going to take place every so often um, that, you know, again, where uh, the salmonids, which are <laughs> these boss-like boss, boss -like salmon creatures, will invade the turf war stages. Um, normally, you play Salmon Run on um, stages designed for Salmon Run, but in these larger events, they will invade a turf war stage. That's awesome. Emil, is Salmon Run something you've you've spent any, a good amount of time with? Oh, absolutely. I'm glad that you can play it at any time now and it's not during designated periods. Um, 
I'm excited to see how much being able to throw the eggs is going to change the gameplay, because in Splatoon 2, a lot of the bosses were melee attackers that couldn't hurt you unless they got close to you. Stuff like the steel eel, um, also the steel head kind of where the bomb range on it was not that long. And oftentimes it was better to just huddle around the basket, let a lot of the bosses come to you. And if they weren't a stinger or a fly fish, um, that was usually the smart way to play, though. But in this case, the fact that you can just toss them and you can even daisy chain between players where you can toss it to a teammate and then have them toss it into the basket. I feel like that'll lead to players spreading out a lot more people filling up the map a lot more and playing like that. Yeah. I got to check that out just a little bit. I uh, played a little bit of salmon run in Splatoon three and uh, I completed a couple of those, those passes and, and catching and uh, it, it felt really cool just to do it. Like I, I, we'll have to see how it affects like the broader strategy and I'm sure Really good players will um, really use that to some some pretty uh, amazing effects. But it felt a little bit like like a basketball alley oop to me. Like like yeah, I nailed that. Even just that little <laughs> movement was really fun. Yeah, you do have to be a little careful because it, uh, throwing the egg does take up some of your ink. So it's not like you can just keep on throwing oh. them. Um, that being said, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a completely new strategy that will change uh, the way people you know can be more effective, right? At, at, at egg collection. Yeah, anytime you, you add a new wrinkle like that to something, it's just I'm excited to see what, you know, how players adopt it, and especially after they have some time to really get skilled with it, you know, what that's going to look like. That's going to be great. And um, looking down the list of, 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 uh, of other new additions to Splatoon 3 that I have uh, here, um, you know, it's easier than ever to play with friends. So, Corey, can you maybe talk a little bit about why that is? Um, sure. Well, past games did allow you to play with friends, um, but one improvement uh, with Splatoon 3 that I'm excited about is when you play Turf War, you can basically create a room within the online lobby, and then if friends join your room, you will basically be guaranteed to be on the same team, whether you're playing Turf War or Anarchy Battle, which Anarchy Battle is the name for the type of modes that include um uh, objective-based modes like um, Splat Zones, Rainmaker, etc. So for those players that always want to be on the same team, this offers a great way to do that. Whereas in previous games, you could play together, but maybe the first match we'd be teammates, the second game we'd be on opposing teams, and, you know, it's, there was kind of that random element. So just giving players that additional option for playing how they'd like to play. Yeah, we got to have some fun uh, playing together on the same team uh, uh, during the recent Splatfest. And it was great. You know, we were just kind of one mash after the other, just kind of uh, sticking together. That was a lot of fun. Um, you know, Emil, you've, since you played, uh, I'm sure, a lot more Splatoon 2 than I did, what did you think about the, the change to how that works? Uh, when playing with friends in this one, I liked how you had the whole hologram system, how you could see your friends around the lobby. Um, they would, they'd have little speech bubbles above their head saying, I'm hosting a Turf Wars lobby. I'm hosting a Tricolor lobby. And... It just, it's a lot more inviting than going into a friend list, seeing people who may or may not be playing at the moment, not really knowing what they're doing. Um, I like that system a lot better, and I think it just is going to be a lot more inviting, especially in the opening week where everyone is going to be online playing, so you can just hop between lobbies really effortlessly. Um, combining the testing range with the friend list, uh, with the lobby to wait for everything was genius. It just saves so much time to actually get into a game and do what you want. Yeah, yeah, totally. I like that too. Those holograms are really neat. Um, now, um, something we got to experience and everyone did obviously during the Splatfest were some of the new main weapons and some new special weapons in the game. 
Um, Emma, let me start with you this time. What did you think of, you know, getting to try uh, out uh, some of those new weapons? The Tri-Stringer, I think, is interesting. It has some weak points, definitely, where it doesn't create ink around your feet all that well, where I was always noticing that the ink was landing really far from you, so I feel like it's definitely one of those weapons where you have to stop and shoot at the floor if you want to move a certain way. But uh, I would fight against people who would use it to lob their arrows over objects and hit me on the other side. Um, it felt almost like a charging slosher at times with the maneuvers that people would do with it. I think it's that's a super interesting one, the exploding arrows doing residual damage afterward. I like that. The Splatana, I felt like I was just missing something for it. I, the idea of a charging roller, essentially, or a charging brush is a weird one, and I feel like I just need more time with that one to really get into it. Um, out of the new weapons, I would say the new specials are really fun, but I don't know if we're talking about that yet. <laughs> I'll touch on the main weapons, just one aspect, because uh, the weapons that you're describing, the Tri-Stringer and uh, Splatana Wiper, are two of the first weapons revealed in their respective classes. So there will be additional stringers and additional splatanas. So mm. definitely excited for players once, you know, those are available to try out those as well, because within a, within a given class, there may always be a, a certain type of, uh, or, you know, a weapon within that class that maybe um, vibes more with that individual player. And then Corey, anything else regarding special weapons or maybe any, uh, I don't know how much is exactly how much has been revealed on what else there might be in the game or how much we can tease at this point. I mean, players will be able to discover for themselves in just a day, so maybe we don't need to go into it too much. I mean, I love I love so many of the new special weapons that have been introduced. You've got the crab tank. Um, we had a lot of fun with the Tacticooler during the Splatfest where, yes. you know, it's a support type special where you drop it and everybody can come grab their drink and then become buffed for a little bit. Um and then, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but I know Emil and I were having a blast with the reef slider special, yes. which is where you you jump on this inflatable shark and basically just ride it into a straight line and create this huge explosion. And it goes so fast that your opponents often are not expecting it. And it's just so satisfying. <laughs> The Reef Slider is so silly. I love it because it's, it's a lot like the Ultra Stamp in that way where it's just funny to watch it go and leads to a lot of silly things. We were chaining them together so that we could grab the Ultra Signal and all that. And especially on Sturgeon Shipyard being the rotation for that Splatfest, it was such a long straightaway you could use to go from safety up to the objective really, really fast and then create an explosion around it. Yeah, it, I got to try that out just once, I think. But it's definitely one of those. It's just a fun idea. And then uh, I, I love... Uh, like you said, being able to just, you see that whizzing by and you're like, what is going on? And you barely have time to notice it before the explosion of ink. Now, uh, moving on to the next topic. I mean, we, we've talked about the fact that we just got to experience a Splatfest. Obviously, there's going to be more Splatfests. And, you know, the way that they include the new tricolor turf war battle type is pretty significant. Corey, can you talk about all that just a little bit? Sure. So for those, again, new to maybe the Splatoon franchise, I'll, I'll take a step back and say that Splatfests are where um, the game, they're special events that usually take place over, you know, a two-day period-ish, and it asks you, the game asks you to choose a side between a popular debate. You know, in the last game, it might have been choose between dogs or cats. Uh, and in this game now, there are three sides, so you'll have to choose one of three teams. And of course, in the demo 
um, in the pre-release demo, the world premiere Splatfest, we had rock versus paper versus scissors. So you had to choose a side and you'll always be battling with that team for the duration of the Splatfest. Now, another new feature that they've added is that Splatfests now take place in two halves. So for the first half of the battle, you'll be playing traditional 4v4 turf war, which is the objective is just cover as much ground as you can. But in the second half, uh, there'll be at well, there'll be a halftime report that basically announces the winning team at that point in time. And then whichever team is in first at halftime, then will be placed uh, kind of in the middle in this uh, tricolor battle, which is four versus two versus two. It's a three team battle where again, you you um, you're it, the objective is the same after three minutes, who you know which team has the most ink. But that team in the middle with four, is now being, uh, <laughs> they're, they're in the middle and you've got two teams of two on the side that are basically trying to uh, push in and they have an objective they can capture to uh, to grant them some additional turf. So uh, very chaotic mode. Um, we've only had one so far again in that demo, but uh, it will continue to evolve. Yeah, I liked how in this last Splatfest, you could basically spend the whole morning into the early afternoon playing, um, you know, traditional turf war battles. And then, like you said, you have that halftime at a certain point in the afternoon where everybody gets the report and the update on, uh, on how, um, uh, you know, the, which team is currently leading. And then that leads right into uh, kind of the rest of the day. Even if you go back out and leave the, the lobby and you're back out in the city, you know, the, the festival that's going during, on during Spot Fest has changed. <laughs> So it's um, it's really cool that it like mixes up. You can even play a little bit in the morning and then say, I'm going to take a break, eat some lunch. You come back in the afternoon and it's gone on to another phase of the Splatfest, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, Emil, what did you think of that first uh, Splatfest, I guess? And in particular, um, what did you think of Tricolor Turf War? I thought Tricolor Turf War was really interesting. Um, I did notice that... I think in Europe and America, the team that was winning at halftime ended up dropping down to zero points by the end. So um, I, I thought that was, I, I heard like a lot of people on Team Scissors were a bit frustrated with that. But personally, I thought it was a fun idea that there was now an objective to capture in Turf Wars, that there was a thing for the defending team to actually defend beyond just the center of the map. Um, they have a shorter journey back into spawn to help them with doing that. There's a lot of different things there. And I think that as the player base gets more experienced and people know the time to form allegiances with their enemies or when to stab them in the back, it could get really interesting and deep. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that. And, you know, we were, we were on team paper. So we were of course a team of two during the splat fest, but I was watching a lot of people streaming as that team in the middle of four and reading a lot of reactions and, um, it sounded like one of their biggest frustrations is there's never been a mode where you spawn in the middle of the map before. So I think it was catching a lot of previous Splatoon players off guard um, about kind of what to do and where should I be guarding the objective? Should I be going into the enemy base? Like where, what should I be doing? Um, I know the the dev team actually did make an announcement afterwards that they, you know, with this being the first tricolor turf war as well, um, they've been observing a lot of this information as well mm -hmm. and will continue um, to make tweaks to just make sure, you know, this mode is as great as it can be. So, Absolutely. I'm sure of that. They've changed the way that Splatfest results were calculated a bunch of times in the previous games, listening to feedback. They've always been great about that. And, you know, this is the first time the game's been able to, available to play for millions of people. The best playtesters in the world are not going to be able to match the level of data that you get from having millions of people playing. So they're always very flexible whenever that data does come in. 
I welcome the chaos. The chaos of Tricolor <laughs> is just so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. It was really great. His, speaking as an attacking team, didn't have the other experience, <laughs> but speaking as an attacker, I just loved the strategy with it and forming allegiances with people. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I just loved, you know, having that, that like I said, the action mixed up halfway through the Splatfest was so cool. Um, and one thing that, uh, you know, people had given a lot of attention to going into the Splatfest based on some of the earlier announcements and previews, and uh, this was certainly on full display during the Splatfest, was the deep cut trio, the new three characters that are kind mm -hmm. of, I guess you could say they kind of host the game and a lot of the events in the game. Um, in particular, Big Man uh, was a favorite of mine, Big like he man. was for a lot of other other people. Um, so what, what did you think, Emil, of, of, of those new characters? You know, I guess it's hard to compare them at this stage to some of the past fan favorites from the previous games because we're just starting to get to know them and and everything. But um, but uh, I thought they were pretty cool. What did you think? I think they look awesome. I, I really like how Shiver looks, especially. Big man, you just want to hug. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I like Fry's hair color a lot. Um, yeah, I... Gosh, I, I remember when they first announced the uh, trio of idols, I remember went predicting big man for best waifu <laughs> and just <laughs> a lot of people airing that sentiment. He's so lovable. I have to confess, um, I didn't know that big man was called big man because he was a manta ray until you told me. And when you told me, you were like, hey, my friend didn't know he was called big man because of he was a manta ray. I was like, oh, I didn't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was just a big man and huggable and, you know, I thought it fit him really well. Um, I didn't foresee that he'd be non-talking where he just goes like, yeah, yeah, and like everybody understands <laughs> what he's saying in parentheses. Um, I think that could lead to a lot of fun dynamics and all that. Um, I'm excited to get to know them, though, because I wasn't too big of a fan of Off the Hook when I first saw them. But after Octo Expansion, when they were elaborated on a lot more, they were fantastic characters that were right up there with the all-time greats in the series. Yeah. yeah, Corey, you've probably had a lot more time to spend with these characters so far. What do you think so far? Well, I mean, I've had a lot of time to spend, but I also don't want to, you know, say anything that could seem like a spoiler or just, you know, based on reading more of their dialogue. Um, I, it's, you know, I make the same connection that Emil did where, you know, I think back to when Off the Hook was initially revealed and people, you know, some people were like, where's my Callie and Marie? <laughs> so I think the, you know, in my opinion, it's good to give, you know, give them some time to really establish themselves. Uh, they host the Anarchy Splatcast, which, as you mentioned, will be the news um, how you get kind of your news that, about what's going on, what stages are up. And um, we didn't touch on this earlier, but one new thing with Splatoon 3 is you'll be able to skip um, most of that news if you'd like to. So um, if you just want to walk around Splatsville and have the news come on in the background, um, you're able to do that for, for those that want to keep, keep about their day. Um, but yeah, looking forward to much more of their dialogue and getting to know them as a trio. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now moving on, Corey, um, one new mode that I've heard about but but have not got to experience at all in any form is table turf battle mode. What can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, brand new. I don't think anybody was predicting that Splatoon 3 would have a card game in it, but table turf battle is a competitive card game that still has the rules of turf war because you're trying to cover the most ink uh, or territory. Um, but it's, it's kind of this side mode where, you know, if you want to take a break from your turf war, your salmon run or your single player, you can head into the alleyway of Splatsville where there's a character there, um, you can talk to and basically just start playing this card game. You'll, there are 150 cards to collect. Um, you'll be able to collect these cards, um, in-game cards through various modes. 
and each one has a different character and sort of a different shape that you can basically play on the field, and then that field basically will, you know, you'll secure that area of territory with with your color ink. Um, without going t- into too much detail about how it works, you um, at launch timing, you'll be uh, able to play this against the residents of Splatsville, so it'll be a uh, PVE or, you know, player versus... Um, um, uh, you'll be playing against the computer initially, and in a future update, you'll be able to play against your friends as well. That sounds awesome. I've really gotten sucked into like little side card games in a lot of other games before, so I'm looking forward to this one. And Emil, you'd mentioned that, that being surprised by this mode as well. What did you think? In my personal life, one of my biggest hobbies is that I collect Pokemon cards. Um, I've been doing it for over 20 years. And the idea of Splatoon having a card game in it, this is a side mode that I think I will spend hours of my life on. I think I'll get way more <laughs> into it than I got into Squid Beats 2, uh, where that just felt super daunting. But a card game, I think, feels a lot more inviting. Um, I'd personally love it if these cards were eventually made real, but who knows? Um, I'd love it if that were to happen. Uh, I always i collected all of the kid icarus cards a few years back and that was exciting um but yeah i'm excited to try it awesome me too now we got a few more things to cover off on here but we're we're running a little bit low on time for this segment so i'm just gonna maybe go into a bit more of a lightning round Corey, what can you tell us about um the catalog and the in-game seasons that this game's going to introduce uh, I'll start with seasons, and new to Splatoon 3 is that every three months will be a, a season in Splatoon 3 that'll um, last, you know, three months. But with within that season, you'll have a catalog that is unique to that season. And as you play, you'll be able to earn catalog points, and the more catalog points you earn, uh, the more that you will unlock out of that catalog. Um, so great incentive to try to get all of that gear that's only available in that one season. Hmm. Awesome. And then new customization options as well, looking at splash tags and lockers. And Emil, splash tags is something we got to try a little bit of in um, in the the, the, um, the Splatfest. Mm-hmm. Um, the splash tags reminds me a lot of the title system in New Horizons. And I know a lot of developers are shared across both games, so it makes sense. Um, it's always so fun seeing what people can come up with all those predetermined words. I think in New Horizons, I was competent clown. Another time, I was supernatural lawn clippings. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's always just so funny seeing that. I forget exactly what I made my splash tag in there, but uh, I get the feeling as more and more tags become unlocked and all that, it'll just be a game in and of itself of just messing around with it when you're waiting for a match. Yeah, and I think from mine, um, well, yeah, like you mentioned, coming up with those those fun word pairings, um, not just Animal Crossing New Horizons, but also Nintendo Switch Sports was something that had that that I, I've been enjoying, and um, and yeah, but you you come up with that, and you come up with kind of the background for your tag and your name, so that was that was kind of fun to mess around with a little bit. I, I probably I didn't put too much thought into it for this Splatfest. I'm probably going to obsess over it a little bit more when I'm setting everything up for the full game. Um, but Corey, I remember lockers was also something that was touched on uh, in a Nintendo Direct for the game, but I'm, I'm, I can't remember exactly what that all entailed. Can you remind me? Sure. So within the lobby, which is, again, where you, you know, go into online battles, uh, there is a locker room um, basically connected to that. And you can go in, uh, you're able to, um, you know, as you're collecting items, there's a, there's basically a new store in Splatsville that wasn't in the previous games. It's kind of a general store. Uh, you're able to buy decorations from that store. Um, you'll also get these decorations through other means throughout the, the game. But uh, yeah, it's basically you can decorate your own personal locker 
Um, and then within that locker room, you'll see the lockers of other players that you've recently played with. Um, so it's really fun to just, you know, create, you know, show off your own style. And then while you're waiting for a match, you know, check out everybody else's style as well. Um, just super fun way to show off that style. Yeah. And that's always been a big part of the Splatoon series, hasn't it? Is, is being able to show off your individual style with how you deck out your, uh, your inkling from the weapons to the, 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 the fresh gear and uh, also the um, kind of the, even the little pictures you can draw uh, that can be displayed in, in the town. So uh, I like that they're just adding even more ways to kind of customize the game and, and kind of have let players kind of, you know, influence the experience. Um, now getting down to uh, three more updates here that are uh, um, eh, maybe somewhat related, <laughs> um, but there'll be new post-launch updates for the game. Um, you know, the new Splatnet 3 and then, you know, new tournaments coming. So Corey, what can you tell us about, about those areas? Sure. With the post-launch updates, that kind of ties in a little bit with the seasons. But like past entries, you know, there will be, um, you know, there's so many maps, so many battle maps at launch, but we will uh, continually add more uh, stages to the game uh, via free updates along with additional weapons, additional gear. Um, so all of that, similar to past games, can be expected um, to be coming in Splatoon 3 as well. Um, now, in the Direct, we also teased that there will be large-scale DLC in the future showing, um, we didn't show characters or reveal details, but you could see some silhouettes of some characters you may recognize from, from the past. Um, so yeah, lots to look forward to in the future for this game. So launch is, launch is honestly just the beginning, which is really exciting. Um, Splatnet 3 you mentioned, this is the name of a app um, within the Nintendo Switch Online app. Um, on mobile devices, you can go in, you'll be able to go in and then click on Splatnet 3. Um, there was Splatnet 2 for Splatoon 2. Of course, this this one for Splatoon 3 will have additional features. Um, one that's pretty exciting for launch is that there'll be a QR code scanning feature, and there's a QR code available um, that's starting around launch to celebrate the launch of Splatoon 3. So if you scan this QR code, um, you'll get a special banner uh, that can be used for your splash tag that kind of celebrates the launch. Well, that's cool. Something for uh, everybody who's jumping on right away to kind of uh, get in on. Um, what haven't we touched on yet or maybe things that you're thinking about this game that you'd like to say before we move on? I think it's great how many weapons are available at launch. I know that was a criticism people had with Splatoon 2 was not a lot of weapons were available at launch, but they've said that the number is going to be much greater this time around. Um, I think that's going to be really fun because it'll just be way more chaotic trying to figure out what's good and people will be trying all sorts of weird strategies. Um, as a personal thing, with them adding more stages after release date, please don't stop on an odd number this time. It bothered me so much. <laughs> <laughs> Splatoon 2 had 23 on. stages and I kept waiting for a 24th and it just bothered me that there wasn't one. <laughs> it's because Chaos won the final Splatfest. That's why. Oh no, you're right. <laughs> See, Team Chaos, it's your fault I didn't have Flounder Heights in the second game, but thankfully it's back in the third one, so I'll, everything's good now. Um, Corey, how about from you? Yeah, you know, I didn't touch on this, but uh, for anybody that did play Splatoon 2, if you have save data from that game on your account, uh, that will give you um, some bonuses, some minor bonuses when you start Splatoon 3. You'll be able to get some golden licenses, uh, so you'll, you can actually immediately unlock some of your weapons uh, that you may like 
to use from previous games instead of having to level up. Uh, you'll also automatically start at level 10, or basically you'll you'll get a, rather than start at level 10, let me rephrase that, you'll be able to immediately start the anarchy battles, which otherwise would require a level 10 requirement um, to get to. Mm-hmm. So a few, a few perks for um, if those players had played uh, Splatoon 2. Um, but I mean, really the only last thing I would say is that, you know, again, whether you're a returning player or a newcomer, this game is really the best Splatoon game yet. And I hope, hope folks are, uh, you know, able to give this game a chance because man, it is just going to, so many hours of my life will be <laughs> spent. It, in ter- yeah, go ahead. In terms of flair, it already impresses. I, when they, when you revealed the release date, you showed a game of turf wars being played. I loved that opening moment of just the camera zooming out and showing the whole stage and how that was timed with the electric guitar. Just vroom. I just, I loved that moment so much. It makes such a good first impression. And the game just has this extreme feel to it, even above what the other two had. So I just, I love the flair of it and the style. Yeah. I think something that, that seems apparent to me is in addition to all the new content, just the, the general approach to the, to the presentation of the game and the core gameplay. I mean, it's clear that this is the third game in a series now, and, and you've had that that much time to kind of continually refine the idea and, and perfect it and hone in. So, um, yeah, I think I agree with what a lot of people I think we're noticing from the Splatfest, which a lot of aspects of the game just feel even that much more smoother and, and you know, and kind of like sharp than before. So, um I just can't wait. I can't wait to get further into this game. And I'm particularly, personally, I'm really looking forward to the story mode. Um, I do want to kind of go through there and brush up a little bit uh, since I didn't play as much um, Splatoon 2 uh, online multiplayer as I, I maybe would have liked to, to have. So um, definitely got to brush up those skills. And uh, I hope to, uh, to be able to get a chance to play with you guys again uh, one way or the other down the line. Uh, again, after I've built up my skills a bit. I'd love that. Um, if I could share like one more story about what waiting for this game has been like, I'd love to. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. So when the release date trailer dropped, uh, I was at PAX East that week. And um, right before the convention had opened for the day was when you dropped that trailer. It was that morning. And when I went in there and I was browsing around some of the game stores, um, somebody noticed my Splatoon shirt and they were going, oh, I love that game. And I was going, yeah, did you hear Splatoon 3 got a new trailer a few minutes ago? And when I said that, so many people in the crowd just turned and we were like, what's happening? <laughs> and then I went, yeah, they confirmed the release date. Like, what is it? What is it? And I'm like, September 9th. And a bunch of people just went, yes, at the same time. It was such a happy moment. And I just felt like I was surrounded by my people in that moment. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's definitely the place to be for something like that, it sounds like. Yeah, everyone just freaked out when I said there was a new trailer a few minutes ago. They were like, oh my God, what? <laughs> so good. That's awesome. All right, well, we'll definitely look forward to a lot more Splatoon 3 in the months to come. But for now, we will switch over to the Player's Pulse polls. And as always, uh, we asked Nintendo fans on Twitter a few questions just for fun. And this time, all the questions were themed around Mario Kart in honor of the series' 30th anniversary. And yeah, it's really hard for me to believe, but the Mario Kart series started three decades ago this month uh, with Super Mario Kart on Super NES releasing here in North America. So for the first question, we asked, which item would you rather snag? And the options were lightning, spiny shell, also somewhat uh, non-effectually referred to as the blue shell by a lot of players, Starman, or triple red shells. Um, Emil, which one would you rather get out of those options? Lightning, spiny shell, Starman, or triple red shell? Triple oh, red gosh. shells. Oh, gosh. First of all, I am prehistoric. Second of all, <laughs> um, I would probably say the lightning. Uh, 
No, not a big fan of the triple red shells out of those. There's empty spaces that you can get hit between. So I usually prefer the singular ones. Yep. Yep. Corey, how about you? Uh, lightning all the way because it affects Ooh. everybody. I mean, there are yep. some games where the spiny shell can hit people in front, like everybody, if it's ground-based, but the satisfaction of lightning, because it still requires skill to, like, run over people, and that is so satisfying. Yeah, I agree. That's three for three with us for lightning. It is something that um, that uh, does affect everyone. Um, uh, not only makes them vulnerable, but but makes them so much slower than you. Uh, and you also don't have to risk it being blocked by anything. Um, however, the fans did vote for triple red shells uh, with 37% what? of the vote, which, you know, I get when you get triple red shells, I'm usually pretty happy to see that happen. But uh, 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 maybe, um, maybe, uh, maybe that was more of a knee jerk. Everyone wants the red shells. <laughs> All right. Next up was who do you most enjoy playing against in Mario Kart games? The CPU, people in the room with you, or people online. Um, Corey, people oh, in the room, people I've, online, or the CPU? I need to see people's faces. Uh, yeah. So people in the room all the way. Yep. Emil? The despair in their eyes when you use an <laughs> item on them <laughs> all the way. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I should say people in the room too, but I, I lean more towards people online only because, unfortunately, I, I don't have a lot of uh, of folks that I'm able to play in-person Mario Kart with very often. So I'd, I've just played probably at this point hundreds of hours of, of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe online. Um, but uh, the fans did agree with both of you. People in the room overwhelmingly uh, won the vote here with 57%. Uh, if you can manage to get everyone together, that definitely is, is the way to go. Um, the third and final poll was, uh, how do you respond to getting pummeled in Mario Kart? Of course, when we talk about getting pummeled, this is when you maybe get hit with a bullet bill and before you can really get your cart going again, maybe get zapped with lightning, you know, and then who knows, you get bumped off the ledge, just, just a series of unfortunate events. And the options that we gave here were um, getting pummeled just fuels my determination to win, or your response could have been a questionable language that allowed volume, or perhaps your answer would be, I'm still processing the trauma. Um, Corey, how about you? How do you respond to getting pummeled in Mario Kart? I don't know. Probably parts of B and C. Um, <laughs> uh, the reality is probably more of B. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not uh, that's not surprising, I think. Emil, how about you? Probably manifests itself in questionable language, but I always know it'll be their turn next. And if not next, eventually, it happens to everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think maybe I start with a little of, of B, at loud volume, and then uh, it quickly fuels my determination to win. I always, I always want to tell myself, "Don't worry, I'll be able to get them back." You know, even if uh, I never catch up. Well, cool. Thanks to everybody who participated in those polls, and now we're moving on to Nintendo Power Game Club. Um, so, in preparation for this segment, I asked both of you to recommend a game that you've been enjoying and tell us a little bit about it. And the games we're going to be talking about this time are Wave Race and Xenoblade Chronicles 3 from Nintendo and the Cuphead, the Delicious Last Course DLC from Studio MDHR. So, Corey, would you like to start? Maybe tell us, you know, briefly which game you chose, what it's like, you know, why you're really into it and, and maybe who you'd recommend it for. Sure. So recently uh, I've been playing some Wave Race 64, which is uh, was recently released on the Nintendo 64, Nintendo Switch Online collection of games. And it 
is amazing. I played this game when it originally launched back in the day in the 90s, but it is amazing to me just how well it has held up through the physics of the waves and just the, the satisfying gameplay. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it surprised me how well it, it has held up and just been going through the cups so far, but looking forward to playing some online multiplayer as well with it, which of course was not available back in the day. Yeah, and you know, I, I totally agree. Back when this game first came out, uh, I think it came out maybe a couple of months after the Nintendo 64. And uh, at the time, I remember thinking, this is my all-time favorite racing game. And since then, that's been surpassed by Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. But um, but yeah, it's just such a unique game, you know, and the way certain shortcuts work, uh, where you would, you know, kind of jump off of a ramp and then dive under the water to get under kind of an obstacle or something. Um, and, and the way some courses will change a little bit with every lap as the tide comes in or out, um, there's a lot there. And even to this day, the water physics that they were able to, to pull off back on the Nintendo 64 still really blow me away. And I powered it up as soon as it came out um, for Nintendo Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack. And I was, I, I got to, I don't know, brag a little bit, I guess, because I, I didn't play like the harder difficulty, but still I jumped right in and was able to get first place on every race in a single um, series. So I felt like the muscle memory is still there, even though at times I felt like I was barely hanging on and, and barely eked out a win. And um, so now I got to challenge the harder difficulties and see if see how much of that I still I still got. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you asked who who I'd recommend it for. I think really, you know, a lot of times you talk about these games that are you know older retro games, um, and you say, oh, you know, for somebody that wants to to play the game that they played earlier when they were maybe younger, um, I I feel like anybody could could play this game and have fun with it just because the physics of just racing on these waves is still it still holds up and it's still really satisfying so definitely recommend anybody giving it a shot absolutely um and emil i think the game you chose was xenoblade chronicles 3 yeah what else would it be <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i uh i love the series i've been there since the first game on the wii um xenoblade chronicles 3 um it gets emotion and the connections between its lead cast just so right uh has amazing voice acting. The series has always been really good in that regard. Um, the environments that you can run through. It's, I, I always describe Xenoblade as a look something shiny, the game, because <laughs> you're getting distracted constantly. You're just doing things. You're doing side quests. You're grabbing items that you see in the distance. You're exploring. There's always so many things you see that you can do at any given time. Um, story is really great. I think it just gets better and better as it goes along. Um, I'm still doing side quests, uh, leveling up my heroes and all that. It's always a little bit of a toss up for me. You know, I'm not the biggest RPG guy. So when I, I see one that, that catches my interest, um, I never really know if I'm going to stick with it for the long haul, but I, I realized pretty early on, I was going to stick with this one. Um, because not only do I, I just love the huge kind of world that you get to explore and kind of, you know, you go into these new areas where you see these giant, you know, crazy looking monsters for the first time. And you're thinking, oh, I'm a high, high enough level to challenge these guys. And but then the story is just so compelling. Like, I really love the basic premise of the story. And obviously, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the characters are just so interesting. And I have no doubt that that's going to carry me through to the end. So um, one of those rare RPGs for me, I think. Three can definitely um, be enjoyed as its own standalone entry. Is this your first one? I, you know, I played a lot of the first 
uh, of the first Xenoblade Chronicles. I didn't finish it. Uh, I got basically 75% of the way through, I think, on both Wii and N- new Nintendo uh, 3DS. Oh, you wound me. <laughs> so I, I, it's always on my list to go back to. It'll happen one day. And then Xenoblade Chronicles X on Wii U and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on Nintendo Switch, for whatever reason, were similar in that I got, I don't know, maybe 10 hours in or something, and then... I don't know, some Super Mario or Legend of Zelda game came out or something. And um, again, still (laughs) intending to go back. But for Xenoblade Chronicles 3, like you said, I I really didn't feel like I was missing anything. I know there's stuff in the game that if you've experienced the previous games, you get a little extra kind of reward because you're like, oh, there's some deeper meaning there that maybe uh, a a real series fan will will get. But for me, as, as someone who... You know, I'd probably forgotten at this point a good amount of what I'd experienced in those previous games. And like I said, mm-hmm. I'd never finished them fully. Um, I haven't felt like I've, it, it, the experience has been, for Xenoblade Chronicles 3, has been lacking at all. You know, just as a, basically a fresh player, it's just been great. And the story is pretty standalone. So just really enjoying I'm, it. I'm not anywhere near Emil's hour count in Xenoblade Chronicles <laughs> 3, but I am definitely maybe about 20-ish hours in so far. And really hard for me to put down. Um, when Splatoon 3 comes out, it's going to be hard to, to balance the, the two, but I will finish this game. And yeah, I loved, loved the first and second one. 20 hours, mere peanuts. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's great that you can experience all of them as a standalone entry. You will get more out of it if you've seen the other ones. Um, highly recommend Definitive Edition on Switch. I think that's the best story I've ever seen in a video game before. Um, Kind of a shame that X is kind of the middle child. And also Xenoblade 2, I could totally understand uh, somebody not having time for that because that first year of the Nintendo Switch was nuts. It was just a five-star game every month for a year, and never mind the third-party things as well. Yeah, that might have been what was happening with me. I think uh, that first year we had Super Mario Odyssey, and you know I was probably still finding shrines in Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mark Kart 8 Deluxe came arms. out. <laughs> Man, that was a pretty good year. <laughs> yeah, it was like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was that year too. Yep, yep. All right, so for me, the game that I chose was um, actually DLC uh, for Cuphead. It was Cuphead, the Delicious Last Course DLC. I actually thought about, uh, I considered talking about this one last time, but was also simultaneously enamored with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. Um, So I really wanted to come back and talk about this because it it really is just so, um, I think, such a great experience and so deserving of of people not only maybe revisiting the game if they played it before to experience the new DLC content, but also anybody who maybe missed Cuphead the first time around. I just wanted to to kind of give the game a shout out because, you know, if you like classic 2D side-scrolling action games, um, you know, single player or two player, two player is, is how I've enjoyed a lot of these, uh, a lot of the Cuphead um, content. Um, but it's just really, really fun. It's really challenging. You know, the game is known for its high challenge. Uh, that and it's really old school cartoon animation. You know, some of those cartoons that came out before even I was born and I'm kind of getting up there as a gamer these days, but it it was fun to kind of um, re-experience that really cool, smooth animation. It's so distinct in the world of video games. Um, you know, you've got some platforming in the game. It's mostly uh, kind of running and shooting. Um, you know, he shoots out of his finger, very cartoon style. Um, and most levels are multi-phase boss fights. You do have some, you know, what they call run and gun levels too, which are more traditional, you know, side scrolling through a stage. But most of them are just these really long boss fights that change up ever so often, maybe three or four times a fight. Um, And it's really cool just to learn all the boss patterns. And they're always like really funny. And in addition to, again, being super well animated. And so they're just really great to experience. And, you know, I played these games a lot with my, um, the DLC in the original mode, 
um, with my son, and we would just have a blast um, playing multiplayer, helping each other, figuring out the patterns. Sometimes you, you've got certain stages where you're flying in an airplane, and it's more of an old-school side-scrolling kind of like, um, you know, shooter that way. And then, um, you know, other times it's it's – or more often than not, again, it's more focused on a little bit of platforming, just a lot of uh, running, jumping, and shooting, uh, fighting these really cool bosses. Um, the DLC adds a whole new island of boss fights with some kind of cool secrets to discover as well. Um, and it totally lives up to the original game's high quality. In fact, I think I read that the animation might even be a little bit better with a few more frames uh, for some of these bosses. And it, it certainly looks at it. it's very, very polished. And, um, you know, I'll say that even though, like I said, it can be really challenging to play this game and, you know, it can be easy to kind of get stuck on a boss too. That just makes it so satisfying when you finally, you know, overcome those challenges so it's just some of the most satisfying um, victories I've ever experienced in a game. Um, and uh, they also added a new playable character called Miss Chalice. So uh, she has these abilities that make the game a little bit easier to play. So, you know, if you're a new player or, you know, you just want to um, dial down that challenge level just a little bit, you know, that's maybe a good place to start. And then you can also play um, kind of shortened versions of the levels. Uh, and then, you know, so you can kind of build up and kind of as you're learning these bosses and these patterns kind of take it one step at a time until you're finally challenging it at the higher difficulties, if that's what you want to do. Um, so yeah, again, I just recommend this game to anybody who loves platformers or who enjoys a strong challenge. And like I said, if you haven't checked out Cuphead before, I'd highly recommend it. And if you have, um, this, um, delicious class course DLC is a great reason to come back and enjoy it even more. All right. So, um, in addition to our recommendations, uh, we went online and asked fans to recommend a favorite game of their own. And we had a lot of great responses. And I picked three of them to share here. I'm starting with Amanda, who said um, that she really recommends Pokemon Puzzle League. Uh, and she writes, it was a favorite of mine when it came out on the N64. And I'm so happy I get to play it again with Nintendo Switch Online. It's just as fun as I remember. And then Horvath uh, said, Blossom Tales 2 a sequel to an amazing old-school Legend of Zelda-style adventure. This definitely scratches that Zelda itch for me. And then uh, Ilaros uh, finally said, just finished the Xenoblade 2 Torn of the Golden Country DLC and went straight into Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 Torn of the Golden Country had such a great story, gameplay, and characters. And so far, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is shaping up to be as good or better. Also, Kirby's Dream Buffet is adorable. <laughs> so I think a lot of good recommendations there. Personally, um, I really enjoyed the first Blossom Tales and was very um, pleasantly surprised when I saw that Blossom Tales 2 came out recently. Anybody who likes um, The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past on a Super Nintendo, um, I think would, um, would get a kick out of this. It's very much that same top-down kind of pixel graphics um, adventure. And then um, I'd also give a, a huge you know, second recommendation to Pokemon Puzzle League, a great puzzle game back on Super NES. And then... Um, Xenoblade Chronicle, or sorry, Xenoblade uh, Chronicles 2, Torn of the Golden Country. That DLC is something I haven't, it's the only Xenoblade Chronicles thing I haven't actually played at all. Mm. Um, Emil, is that something that you're familiar with and would would recommend as well? Yes, yes, absolutely yes. It completes the story of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 so well. They were originally planned to be one story, um, but they felt like it wasn't working, and also the game was running over on development time, so they ended up splitting it off into its own game. And... Uh, it is the best prequel I've ever seen. It doesn't feel unnecessary like a lot of prequels do or have tension in like ways where you know it's going to be fine because, well, obviously that character's alive in the next movie or whatever. So it doesn't have like that problem. It was seeds were being sown for it in the base game. It's 
explains a lot of characters a lot better. You get to see their backstories. Um, you care a lot about the world of Torna because of just how many involved quests there are in it. I I love Torna, the Golden Country, so much. The music is excellent, too, but that always goes without saying with this series. Yeah, the series always has great music, I think. And and um, I think you see, I'm so into Xenoblade Chronicles 3 right now that that might be the motivation I finally need to go back and not only finish the earlier games in the series, but um, but experience everything that it has to offer, including uh, Torn of the Golden Country. All right, so moving on to the Warp Zone quiz. This time we have a special quiz in recognition of the 30th anniversary of Super Mario Kart. Now, I'll give you clues to help you identify three Mario Kart games that came out at some point across those 30 years. And the clues will center around the first time we saw certain features added to the series. And keep in mind, uh, this is a team sport, so feel free to work together to come up with the answers. You guys ready? <laughs> Let's do it. Chris, actually, one question. Did, yeah. did you know that Super Mario Kart on Super NES is my favorite game of all time? Ooh. You know what? I think you might have mentioned something <laughs> about that before. Wow. Still, is it just more of a nostalgic favorite? Do you still place it above Mario Kart 8 Deluxe? I will still challenge anybody who wants to go head-to-head -head in battle mode to this day. Um, and... There are very few people that want to challenge me. But anyway, that uh, me <laughs> trying to be I'm normally not like this with games. I'm not trying to be so I was, was going to ask if you if you like the battle mode the most or if you like the actual racing too. Uh no, I, I love the racing, but battle mode is my bread and butter. I absolutely mm -hmm. love love battle mode. Sorry for the aside. No worries. I spent more time playing battle mode with that game than any other version of of Mario Kart. So, I might have to take you up on that one of these days. Although I whenever I go back and play the original Super Mario Kart, I really have to relearn. I'm so used to the modern kind of drifting controls that it takes a minute for me to recalibrate myself. So, what I'm basically doing is already laying out my defense uh, for when you dominate me in Super Mario Kart battle mode. All right. So, the first game here, the clues are this was the first Mario Kart game to let players take the wheel with motion controls. It raised the number of racers from 8 to 12, and it introduced bikes to the series for the very first time. Any guesses on which Mario Kart this is? I'm going to go that's to Emil because, yeah, it's easy. Yeah, softball, that's definitely right? Mario Kart Wii. <laughs> yes. Yep, Mario Kart Wii. Uh, it was the best-selling game in the series until Mario Kart 8 Deluxe came out, so um, definitely a high uh, mark for Mario Kart. All right, so the second game, the clues are, this was the first Mario Kart game to offer online competition and the first to bring back courses from previous Mario Kart games in the Retro Cup. And it includes a couple features that haven't made a return yet, um, such as mission mode and the ability to customize emblems for vehicles. Any guesses on which Mario Kart this is? Too easy. You want, you want this mm -hmm. one, Emil? Uh, I can do it if you want me to. Go for it. Uh, that's Mario Kart DS. That's right. The third and final game, uh, the clues are, this Mario Kart gave us classic courses like Baby Park, Yoshi Circuit, and Daisy Cruiser, with one of the battle courses taking place atop a giant Nintendo GameCube. And most significantly, the game gave players a unique way to play co-op Mario Kart. I'm sure you guys know what this is, but I'll ask anyway. <laughs> Any guesses? I'll, I'll, I'll go with this one. It's Mario Kart Double Dash with two exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> you ever nice. do eight-player Double Dash? It's wild. <laughs> Oh, I don't think I ever have. But yeah, that game supported like LAN connection, right? Yeah, you could. I don't think you could choose your characters in it. I think it just assigned you characters, though. But yeah, you could do eight players with the LAN adapter and two GameCubes. Ah, back in the old connectivity days where you had to have a lot of hardware, but you had some really great experiences. All right, so we've got a bonus question here. As usual, this is an audio question. So I'll play a sound. And then if you can guess what it is and which Mario Kart game it's from. 
And um, if you do know it right away, I kind of suspect you guys will. Um, please hold your answer until I've played it twice to give everybody a good chance to, uh, to guess it. Here we go. And one more time. All right. What is that game from, or what is that sound, and which game is it from? Gosh, name that audio compression is what this feels like. <laughs> <laughs> which item roulette are we hearing? <laughs> I think I'm going to say Super Circuit on Game Boy Advance is what I think. I like that guess. Um, it's one of the most remote games in the series. So if I wanted to make a tricky question, I would pick that one. <laughs> I like that, yeah, if, if, if Chris is throwing Mario Kart Super Circuit into this quiz, I love the idea of that. Um, I'll, uh, I'll echo that just because I like the idea of Super Circuit being in here. Well, I'm not sure. It could very well be that this is the exact same sound effect or maybe it's slightly different. But this version I got from the original Super mm. Mario Kart back on Super NES. Oh. <laughs> of course, I had to close out with that one you know, for the 30-year anniversary. But uh, like I said, this this item appears, or this this uh, this item sound effect appears in every game, obviously. So especially there were a lot of similarities between Super ne uh, Super Mario Kart on the Super NES and uh, the uh, the Game Boy Advance Super Mario Kart. So could be that they sound very similar. Great job, you guys, and uh, a lot of fun thinking back to so many um, great Mario Kart experiences. Uh, one of my favorite series of all time. Um, couldn't be more thrilled that it's still just as cool and just as fun 30 years later. I can't believe you missed a Super Mario Kart question, Corey. I might have to revoke your license well, for having yeah, that as your I was, favorite game. I was about to say, am I like, is, is this shameful now? Or do I need to go in and see if that exact <laughs> audio file was used in Super Circuit now? I'm not sure. Now I feel Ugh. like I've got work cut out for me to do the rest of the day. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like at 1 a.m. in the morning, you'll just... You finally realize you can't sleep and you'll get up out of bed and go do that research. I don't know who I am anymore. You know, I think what's, what's tricky about that too that's throwing me off is I'm usually hearing that with music as well because, um, yeah. you know, the, state, the, the courses, of course, always have music, but now I'm just giving myself excuses. So Not just music, but the, the sound of, you know, cart engines and mm -hmm. chaos happening sure. all around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so next is Game Forecast. And as always, before we go, we're going to take a quick look at just some of the Nintendo Switch games that recently released or are coming soon. And we're going to start with uh, August 30th. We had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Cowabunga Collection from Konami on September 1st. Um, we had Ooblets from Glumberland on September 6th. There was Disney Dreamlight Valley from Gameloft on September 9th. Uh, NBA 2K23 and, of course, also Splatoon 3, uh, the first from 2K and then the second game from Nintendo. And on September 19th, we'll have Return to Monkey Island from Devolver Digital. On September 23rd, Taiko no Tatsujin Rhythm Festival from Bandai Namco. On September 30th, EA Sports FIFA 23 Nintendo Switch Legacy Edition from Electronic Arts. On October 4th, we have Overwatch 2 from Blizzard Entertainment. On October 6th, Nier Automata, The End of Yorha Edition from Square Enix. October 7th, No Man's Sky from Hello Games. October 14th, we've got Dragon Ball The Breakers from Bandai Namco. On October 18th, Them's Fightin' Herds from Main 6 and Modus. On October 20th, Mario Plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope from Ubisoft. And on October 21st, Persona 5 Royal from Atlas and Sega. And finally, on October 28th, a little game called Bayonetta 3 from Nintendo and Platinum Games. Um, and some of these games are, of course, available for pre-order now. Emil and Corey, is there anything here that you're especially looking forward to? 
Uh, Cowabunga Collection's a big one for me. I love the Turtles games. Uh, I'm a, even a big fan of the first one on NES. I love the strategy in that game and how the Turtles all have different abilities. Um, I uh, Sparks of Hope sounds fantastic. Mario plus Rabbids was better than it had any right to be, and it was such a surprise hit in the first year of the Switch, so the fact that it's getting a sequel is awesome. I just need more time to play all these games. I'll <laughs> echo uh, Cowabunga Collection. Uh, I was never able to beat Shredder after making it to the Technodrome a few times. I'd always have Raphael left, who was, I felt useless in the battle against Shredder. <laughs> uh, so hopefully I can right that wrong and finally defeat the original game, but looking forward to the rest of the games in that collection. Well, you know, that's the one I had jotted down in my notes too, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Cowabunga Collection. Um, Partly because, I, like I said earlier, I've been enjoying Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge so much lately that it really got me in the mood to go back and revisit some of those classic Turtles uh, games. Um, I did manage to uh, beat the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for NES back in the day. Wow. Uh, at the time, I was working for a video game magazine, and I was assigned to do it, so I kind of had no choice. <laughs> but it's it's kind of infamously very, very hard um, so I think I'm going to, I want to see if I can maybe, uh, um, revisit that game and, and yeah, I don't know. I, 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 that often ends in tragedy when I revisit some of those hard games from the <laughs> NES era that I could beat when I was younger. Can't necessarily do that now, but I'm definitely going to give it a shot. So a lot of good stuff there. A lot of, uh, fun, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action. And that's it. That brings our episode to a close. Um, Emil and Corey, thanks again so much for coming on the show and also for hanging out with me this weekend and playing uh, with the Splatfest. It was a lot of fun, and I can't wait to do it again. Team Paper! Thank you you so much for having me for both of them. I know we didn't come out on top, though, but hey, at least we're Team Scissors. (laughs) Exactly. Team Paper forever. All right, guys. See you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Booyah. That's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. If you have any comments or questions you'd like us to consider answering on the show, you can email us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, we always appreciate it if you can leave us a review, and be sure to subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they're ready. Thanks for listening, and keep playing with power.